Hi, welcome to Teach Me Biology, our revision podcast for A-level biology students. I'm Ria Corbett. And I'm Sarah Matthews. Hi, I'm Ria Corbett. I'm a science teacher with biology specialism and on Teach Me Biology I am teaching my co-host and my little sister, Sarah Connor. Matthews. <laughs> Yes, Sarah Connor, yes. Um, <laughs> biology, a level, topic by topic, to hopefully avoid getting killed by a Terminator <laughs> in the near future. Or teaching her A-level biology. Um, I can't remember any of this now. I'll uh, just do my bit. Topic by topic, to hopefully provide you with a, our lovely listeners with an audio, audio revision, revision resource. resource. Yes, we hope that you incorporate us into your revision and as a part of your learning journey, dip in and out. Listen to the episodes on Young Weaker Topics or use us as your audio biology Bible. Whatever you need us for, we are here. Gas exchange in a leaf. We're going to look at so adaptations of gas exchange surfaces, which we've been looking at for a couple of weeks now. A couple of weeks, yeah. But this time shown by the gas exchange in the leaves of dicotyledonous plants. So we're going to be looking at specific tissue, so in the leaf called mesophyll, and we're going to be looking at stomata. And then we're going to also, just like we did with insects, discuss the compromises that you make between water loss and gas exchange. When you have a good gas exchange surface, you're likely to lose water from it. And plants can also try and avoid that if they live in dry conditions. So let's get started. So just to sort of be really clear, a dicotyledonous plant, it's not that important what one is. It's probably dicotyledonous plant, exactly. Probably said it wrong anyway, but... um, it just means it's a flowering plant that produces two embryonic leaves from the seed. It's actually yeah. like, you know when you're, you're younger and you draw a plant mm-hmm. and you draw a stem and you draw two, two leaves? Two leaves on the other side. Like that. Yeah, okay. Just like traditional kind of little mm-hmm. child's drawing and you just draw little, little loads okay. of petals. I put that in as a resource. <laughs> okay, so we have got a diagram of the leaf structure, which we're going to talk through. Is this just a, a little child's drawing that you've drawn? No. Oh. Rude. If you want to look at the same diagram that we're looking at or that Sarah's looking at, it's um, on teachmescience.co.uk under the resources section. But if you've got a diagram, it doesn't matter. OK, just use whatever diagram you've got. Let's talk through the structure of a leaf. OK, so believe it or not, a leaf, they're very flat, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're waxy at the top, not so much at the bottom. And that diagram shows you what is in the, that tiny little leaf from top to bottom. Okay. So everything that you can see there makes up a leaf from yep. top to bottom. And it seems amazing to think that you can cram all that in, but you can. <coughs> I don't think you can see it on that diagram, but the waxy top of a leaf is called the waxy cuticle. Okay, so it's just a waterproof covering, a waxy waterproof covering over the top of the leaf to reduce water loss from the top of the plant. Also a thin layer of just epithelial cells. Now, both of those layers are transparent. They have to be so that light can pass through them into the next layer. The diagram starts at the top with just having the palisade mesophyll. So all those rectangular cells across the top, that is the palisade mesophyll layer. And that is basically close to the top of the leaf as possible, crammed in next to each other in these columnar-shaped cells. Loads and loads and loads of traditional plant cells, palisade cells, that are crammed full of chloroplasts, and their job is to absorb light 
and carry out photosynthesis. At the chloroplast in each of those cells, there'll be photosynthesis taking place. So we've got to try and get carbon dioxide into those cells. If those cells are carrying out photosynthesis, then they're going to need the two reactants of photosynthesis. They're going to need carbon dioxide, they're going to need water, and they're going to need lots and lots of light from the sun. And they're going to make oxygen, and that oxygen's going to need to leave the leaf somehow. So we're going to have that gas exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen. And we're also going to have glucose being made as well, which is then the, the plant food, as it were. That is a, a layer of mesophyll cells, but they're called palisade mesophyll cells. Underneath that, you've got what we call the spongy mesophyll. So that is more cells, but they're not so columnar because you're not cramming them in. And lots and lots of air, air space. That's right, yeah. The actual cells in this layer, some of them have got chloroplasts, or they have chloroplasts, so if any light passes through, it can still get picked up. Photosynthesis can still take place. But the main aim there is those air spaces. So all of those air spaces and all of those mesophyll cells, they create a very, very large surface area for gas exchange. So you've got all the air spaces for the gases to diffuse into, so that there's space for them before they go into the cells. And you've got lots and lots of a really large surface area for the gases. The bottom layer is lower epidermis. So again, just a layer of like cells that act like a lining, really. But throughout them, you'll find these what we call stoma, which are pores or holes in the bottom of the leaf that can be opened and closed by guard cells. So if the guard cells fill with water, they become turgid. And that opens the stoma, so that opens the hole. And if they lose water, they become what we call flaccid, and that closes the stoma. So the stoma will be open mainly during the daytime to allow carbon dioxide in for photosynthesis and oxygen out. That is basically what a leaf looks like from top to bottom. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Got any questions about that so far? Yeah, how much oxygen does a leaf make? Interestingly... I mean, I can't tell you a volume that it makes, but plants like us also respire. So they also carry out respiration, which is to make energy for growth and things like that. And that process requires oxygen. So a lot of the oxygen made in photosynthesis can be then used in respiration directly. And a lot of the carbon dioxide made in respiration can be used in photosynthesis directly. So the actual gas exchange taking place with the air the external air, is a lot less than you'd think. Okay. Quite reduced, because mm-hmm. actually those two products could be used of yeah. both processes, one for the other, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. What's good is, with that structure, with the leaf being so thin, there's no cell that is far from a stomatal pore at any point. So there's always access to those gases mm-hmm. if needed. So we're very, very, what we call, short diffusion pathway. There isn't much more to say about that. Okay. It just is. And then remember, there's always got to be a concentration gradient. But it's very well. thin, so it doesn't matter. The, oh, that's a diffusion pathway. <clears throat> oh, okay. I mean, like, the difference in the concentration of the gases so that they diffuse. Oh, you mean, like, the fish thing, where it was, like, a certain amount in, in one yeah. side and the other. Yeah. yeah. So, remember, we want oxygen to leave the leaf, don't we? And carbon And we want dioxide. carbon dioxide to go in. So carbon dioxide is going to be constantly used in photosynthesis, Therefore, it's going to be kept low in the leaf, so it'll diffuse in. Mm-hmm. Oxygen's being made a lot in that the leaf, so it stays high and goes out, where in comparison it will be lower in the air, so that you've always got that diffusion gradient to ensure mm-hmm. that the exchange happens as well. 
This is actually one of the few examples that we're looking at where there isn't small surface area to volume ratio that we're trying to overcome with some kind of system, like with the fish gills and the insect spiracles mm -hmm. and what we're going to be looking at next week, human lungs. The bodies of those insects, that fish, us, we have a small surface area to volume ratio. So we have to have these systems in order to get enough oxygen and to get rid of the carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So this is actually one of the only examples that we're looking at where they don't have that situation. Because it's the leaf and it's thin, you've already got that perfect situation in order to get enough carbon dioxide and to get rid of the oxygen, which to is the opposite cells. to what we want, but yeah. still. It's not that difficult at all, as long as you know the leaf structure, which a lot of people do now at GCSE anyway, and as long as you understand that there's also respiration taking place, so a lot of those gases will be used that are made and so on. Just making sure you understand like the stomata and the mesophyll cells is the gas exchange surface what we also just want to quickly talk about is that compromise between water loss and gas exchange because when a stomatal pore is open water vapor will also be leaving and if a plant is in a dry environment where there is a short supply of water then that could be quite dangerous don't a lot of them plants have abilities to keep hold of water yes yes we can talk through those sort of adaptations now. Do you know any already? Ooh. Cactus. So that would be a type of plant that's adapted for a dry environment. Do you know any features of a cactus that helps it to keep hold of water? Spiky. Yeah, so the spines are a lot like pines on fir trees. They're actually the leaves. And instead of being flat and wide and thin, mm -hmm. they're actually just really small. So... That is actually a small surface area to volume ratio, so they won't lose a lot of water. And also less stomata, because there's less surface area to put the stomata on. So yeah, good. Mm -hmm. And then obviously like a cactus is supposed to have this, it's a massive stem essentially that can hold water. So it, it collects it and keeps it. But there are also lots of others. So for instance... The cuticle can play quite a big part. Remember I talked about the cuticle at the top of the leaf. The thicker that is, the better. I don't know if you've heard of succulents. Succulents, but, yeah. But then they're like cacti, but they're not. Their leaves are really thick. Again, small surface, small surface area to volume ratio with a very thick cuticle on top. So the thicker the cuticle, the better. And it, it tends to be that if the, a plant from a drier environment would have a thicker cuticle to prevent that water loss out of the top of the leaf. There's also lots and lots of ways that you can trap air next to the leaf as well, or next to a stomata, stomatal pore. Some leaves actually have these small hairs growing on them. Mm, gross. Okay, especially on the underside. Some plants, and we're referring to really plants like xerophytes now, which are plants adapted to live in dry environments. Some have rolled leaves so that the bottom side of the leaf is rolled in on itself. So the underside of the leaf where the stomata are, are enclosed in the rolled up leaf. And also the stomatal pores, they're sunken. So they're in like little pits or little grooves. So they're not just there on the surface, they're actually embedded deep into the leaf. All those three things, the hairs, the sunken stomatal pores and the rolled leaves, all three of those things are to try and trap air next to the stomata so that when water loss does occur out of the stomata, the air that's trapped there becomes saturated with water, creating a high potential, a high water potential. So if there is a high water potential, 
right outside this tomato pore, water can't move because water can only move from high to low. So if it's saturated, if the air just outside that stoma is completely saturated and wet and humid, then no water will leave the leaf and that reduces water loss from the plant. Air gets trapped by the hairs, which is like kind of the same principle as like one of our things that we do when we're trying to keep warm. You know, when you get goose pimples, it's because the hair is sort of raised ever so slightly and it's trapping air. It's trying to trap air close to the skin in an attempt to keep you warm. So that is the idea there. All three of those things, so the hairs, the sunken stomatal and the rolled leaf, all follow the same principle of just trying to trap that air next to the stoma and saturate it with water as much as possible so that no more water will leave because it can't move into a high water potential. It has to be higher where it's leaving from, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So that is it, really, in terms of gas exchange of a leaf. And that's not hard stuff to to know, really, Mm -hmm. as long as you know the structure and you can explain the structure. And then also those adaptations for dry conditions. There isn't much more to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. so should we do some questions? Yeah. Yeah, I've got three questions. There's not a lot. There's not a lot out there for leaves and sort of like what I've got here is just a couple of two markers and a one marker because there just isn't really those questions that is like right explain fully for six marks how a leaf is you know adapted it just doesn't Mm -hmm. just don't seem to have those questions nice easy one to start with two marks explain the relationship between stomatal's openings and photosynthesis So, so photosynthesis is when it needs the sun does sun go in through the stomata no. What goes in through the stomata? The carbon dioxide. Yeah. The air. So the stomata allows carbon dioxide to go in and the carbon dioxide is used in what process? Photosynthesis. Yeah, and that's the two marks. Okay. So the stomata allow the uptake of CO2 and the CO2 is used or needed in or required mm-hmm. for photosynthesis. One mark, again, nice and easy. Explain how the cuticle reduces water loss. Which is that the top bit? Yeah. Oh, I know. It's waterproof. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So if you just if you literally just put the word waterproof, you get the mark. Okay. Impermeable to water is another way of saying it. Stops water passing through. Is just explaining it, isn't it? Just just giving an extra description of it. Exactly right. One mark. And then the next question is for two marks. Explain how one other part, how one other adaptation reduces water loss. Or what were those three things that trapped air? The hairs, so you could the rolling. You could mention rolled leaves. Of the leaves. You could mention the hairs. And um, indent. In a dent, yes. Yeah. In a pit or in a groove or in a... Or is sunken. So, something along those yeah. lines. Okay. So if you mentioned one of those things, you'd get a mark in the sense that you'd have to then talk about how you're... Well, what are they for? What's the purpose of them? To keep the air saturated and wet. Right. And so, yeah... Why? Because of the gradient. Yeah, so then you haven't got keep... the gradient the right way. Yeah. yeah. To keep the water from leaving the cell. To stop the water from leaving the leaf, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're trapping air next to the stoma so that it becomes saturated with water, it becomes a high water potential, Yeah. and then it's not possible then for water to leave the leaf. The wider reading... It's the last week now for the wider reading. I just want to get that in there now. Is the book Human Errors by Nathan H. Lentz. I mean, hopefully some of you have given it a go. It's a, 
an amazing book for just getting you to think about the things that actually are wrong with our body that have evolved through natural selection as we became the species that we are from our ancestors, the things that are left behind from from our ancestors that are in our body that could have been designed a little bit better, if that makes sense. I haven't really gone into a lot of detail since I first discussed it, but there's quite a lot of interest in facts and I was actually talking about one of them to um, my year seven class last week about how it's a ultimate design flaw to have the windpipe or the trachea next, next to the gullet or the esophagus and even though we've got the epiglottis to protect us when we swallow it's still actually a design flaw if things had been different that might not have evolved that way and it just is one of those things which is quite interesting shall I do the roundup? yeah yeah okay Plants carry out both photosynthesis and respiration. Guess what Sarah's doing right now? (laughs) The gases produced in one can be used in the other, but plants still need to take CO2, carbon dioxide, from the external air, and they also remove from the leaf oxygen and some water vapour into the air via diffusion down their various concentration gradients. The gas exchange surface for this is the mesophyll cells and the stomata. Leaves are flat and contain air spaces, which all create a large surface area to volume ratio to ensure rapid diffusion as all cells are close to a stoma. When the stomata are open, plants can lose water vapour. This can be dangerous for plants that have a limited water supply. Xerophytes have specific adaptations to compromise water loss with the necessary gas exchange. The leaves of these plants have a thicker waterproof waxy cuticle to try and reduce water loss through the upper surface of the leaf. Some xerophytes have pine or spines to create a small surface area to volume ratio to reduce water loss. These plants can also have rolled leaves, hairy leaves and leaves that have sunken stomata. These adaptations trap air next to the stoma, which becomes saturated with water vapour, leaving a high water potential. This ensures that further water loss cannot occur from the leaves down a concentration gradient. And that's it. Got any takeaways? Leaves have got three layers. Yeah? Can you name them? No. (laughs) Airspace is in the middle. Yeah, so that's spongy mesophyll. Because it's got air in it, it's spongy. Spongy. So it's called spongy mesophyll. And then the other mesophyll layer is the palisade, and that's where the photosynthesis happens. Is that at the top? Yeah. And them top bits are translucent. Yeah. Upper mm-hmm. epidermis and your waxy yeah. cuticle is transparent. And they use the carbon dioxide up and oxygen comes out, and it's opposite of us. If you would like to contact us, you can go to our website and make it sound like the worst thing ever. <laughs> not at all, like, even slightly interesting to go. Well, it's, if you want to... <laughs> it's, it's not even that interesting a website, to be fair, is it? <laughs> no. It's just a place to listen to our podcast. And if you need a picture for something, mm-hmm. there is a picture there. You can go to our website, that's teachmescience.co.uk. You can drop us an email at teachmebiologycast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at, at teachmebiocast. And you can find us on Instagram at, at teachmebiologycast. And I posted on Instagram, on our Instagram, for the first time ever, the other day, mm-hmm. a picture of me. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that was good. It was a nice picture for St. Patrick's. Yeah. 
you and your full PPE for yeah. the natural flow testing, which finishes on Tuesday. Yep. Will you be glad? Yes, but also no, because like we're a like gang. a little we're a little family in there now. Yeah. And we just like have a laugh all the time. So. Yeah. Oh, was that the bell? Yeah, yeah, that God, was the bell. That was yeah, a quick yeah, one, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you eat all the midget jams? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did, yeah. And all the um, chocolate eggs we had. This packet is empty. See? <laughs> empty packet. I'm almost certain they were already open before I got here. Then. No, I opened them when you came. <laughs> and I she's at all the podcasting all. snacks yeah. Yeah. of the week. I have to eat more than normal people. No, you don't. <laughs> I tell you now, when I'm at work, I have two breakfasts, two lunches, right, and then a snack at the end of the she's day. She's not fat. <laughs> right i have to have if i don't eat at least four meals in the day i feel sick if i ate two breakfasts two lunches and two dinners i would be about 20 stone <laughs> sometimes when i'll go to eat my lunch and i'm like actually i don't feel hungry and then like half an hour later i feel starving but i've already chucked my lunch away <laughs> chucked your lunch away yeah well if it's like what, cereal like, or something i'm not hungry I'll so start eating the cereal it. and I'll be like, yeah, I can't eat it. I've been oh, I see. Like, you've made it and it's not something you could save. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were just being, like, full on, like... But then, you know, the first day I had the porridge... <laughs> you know, the first day I had the porridge, I had porridge on Thursday in the morning when I got to work and I'd already eaten toast at home. So I had the porridge and then after that I had two yoghurts. And then... <laughs> I'm not greedy, but I have to eat this, right? And then, that was the day you bought in the pasta... So at first lunch, um, at first lunch, at break time, I had a sandwich, which would have been my normal lunch. And then I had that pasta, so I was full all day because um, I'd eaten all that. Yeah, thanks for eating all the meat. If anyone's got any advice on um, good things to eat in the morning that keep you full. So that she doesn't eat all the podcast snacks. Uh, I've been Sarah Matthews. And I'm Rhea Corbett. This has been Teach Me Biology, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. I'm starving. (laughs) 